Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bach, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. Welcome. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Brett Vaden, an associate pastor at the Journey West County and an author, and the author, of The True Self and False Self, A Christian Perspective. And uh, I didn't leave any space for you to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right, man. Uh, You said it all. (laughs) So we'll dive right in. (laughs) So I think, you know, hearing, okay, so reading a little bit about the false self, true self, um, I see you definitely work with a mixture of like the psychological approach, Mm spiritual approach. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm curious about like, I know this is, forgive me if I'm insulting to break it down as, as like basic as it can yeah, be. Yeah, sure. Like, what does it mean to like this false self mean? Like we're, we're believing in lies about ourselves. And so we're, we're stuck in a place of earning and proving. And, um, maybe that's even where like negative core beliefs come into mm. b- belief with like psychology, mm. um, or, or, you know, where is there similarities, where there's differences? Is that kind of like, yeah, some of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's helpful, you know, to like think about how we use that word false self kind of just in everyday conversation, maybe mm. you hear about it and then how psychologists have used it before. Ah. So like, I'll just make that quick distinction. So if, if you watch Disney movies, I mean, if they don't use that word false self or true self, mm. like it's in every Disney movie anyway. Hmm. So you just think about something like Frozen. Okay. Yes. That's a, that's a, like my favorite example because uh, you look at how in that movie you see, you know, two young women who are growing up and the sort of, they're finding out who they are. Right. And Elsa, uh, she is, Sort of trapped in this um, this story that that she's learned growing up from her parents um, that she has this gift, but it's not really a gift; it's more of a curse. And so she has to control it. She has to make sure that you know she conceals conceals it. Hmm. Conceal, don't feel. She sings. Yes, that's right. Uh, right. And so, but in through the course of the movie, right, you just she discovers actually this is some great power she has, and she's just gonna like let it go. And and so she's found her true self is sort of the idea. And actually, if you if you watch both the uh, Frozen movies, there's there's definitely a, an arc in development where Elsa is um, realizing there is kind of a, a middle path for who she is. So a lot of people then in our culture, I think, think about the true self as kind of that hidden person, mm. but trying to discover who they mm. really are. Okay, mm. Mm. so that's one kind of cultural way that we talk about it. Now, psychologists. Um, can talk about it that way, but more often than not, they're going to talk about uh, what is uh, kind of our true, who we really are. Um, and actually, this is kind of like, um, if, if, if you were to look objectively at you as a person, the good, the bad, the mm. ugly, mm. everything mixed in, mm. this is just who you are, mm. okay? Um, versus, you know, a false self or a false idea of who you are, right? Mm. Kind of being deceived about yourself. Mm. That's really where psychologists that I have studied, that's where they 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 hit on that idea. So um, I think if you compare those two, then it's like, well, the Elsa model is kind of like, um, 
you know, finding your true self is just, is just finding like who you're meant to be. Mm. Um, psychologists are saying, well, f- finding your true self is just, is just understanding having a good self-awareness. Like, ah. This is who I really am. Yeah. So With that? the good and the bad. With the good and the bad. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So sounds like you're talking about, um, one, we use true self and false self differently in different mm-hmm. audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a place, I think what I'm hearing you say, is within Frozen and, and many media things, um, presentations, the true self is like unashamed self-expression. I just, I am who I am. Love me or hate, mm-hmm. you know, don't hate me, but you know, just accept me for who I am. Right. Without per- potentially any natural social consequences for that. Meaning like, mm-hmm. hey, like, okay, like, let's mm-hmm. say, hey, this is just who I am. My wife needs to just deal with it. My friends need to deal with it. Instead of there being maybe a shared uh, dialogue mm-hmm. of like, hey, that actually hurts me, even though you're, you're embracing yourself, but like that actually like doesn't feel good for me as you're, does that fit at all? Or am I taking that a completely different yeah, way? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Uh, so there are cases where this like legally has ramifications. Mm. So there was a story uh, and I forget some of the specifics of, of where and when, but a few years ago, uh, there was a case with um, basically a, a, a tanning salon uh, where um, somebody wanted to come in yeah. and get uh, a bikini wax, okay? And uh, seems simple enough. Yeah, very <laughs> <Maybe>. simple. Enough, <laughs> right, right. But this, I mean, but. You know, uh, that is that is uh, typically marketed for, you know, females. Ah. Uh, and so this person was biologically male, ah. but uh, wanting to be treated as female. Ah. So this became a legal uh, situation because yeah. this person was a refused service. Ah. So, I mean, that's a, just a very, like, uh, kind of uh, awkward and yeah. dicey uh, situation, but it, it shows you what happens really when people are going to say, you have to treat me the way I think I am. Interesting. Not who you think I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. There is a, um, there's a way that people talk about the true self where it's like, Hey, my true self is who I say I am mm. versus uh, the true self that is, is more of a combination, which is how I like to see it. Oh, that's interesting. A combination of, of who I'm discovering I'm to be mm. in dialogue, in conversation with other people who know me mm. as well. And, and and for a Christian, I think there's also a third party involved, mm-hmm. and that is God. Yeah. Uh, so in, in all of those parties working together comes a realization, this is actually who I am, mm. who I'm meant to be. That's interesting because to me, it makes me think of the power and necessity of vulnerability and honesty like that. Because that's really scary to say like, if I don't get to just define myself mm-hmm. and you can speak into me, God can speak into me, others can speak into me. It can be scary and I can only imagine if I'm building so much of my identity on a false self mm-hmm. and that feels really comfortable. Like I'm Mr. Accomplishment, I'm Mr. Perfect, right. I whatever I'm filling the blank in with, but then you see me as, oh, you actually like you're really impatient. Mm-hmm. You're really commanding, you're really controlling. Mm-hmm. Uh, to hold that instead of saying, like, oh, I just want to focus on all these strengths, but also having allowing people to speak in and say, hey, brother, like I think you might need to grow in this area too. Like, but it's scary. It's vulnerable to offer. Do you think why, it, it, why do you think it might be so difficult for people to be open 
to holding that tension, right? Like mm-hmm. society wants to say, just accept mm-hmm. me versus being open to like, even if someone's not a Christian, I mean, so like the Christian would invite God into it, but a non-Christian yeah. doesn't even want others necessarily to speak into it. What yeah. makes it so hard to accept that yeah. other people have a different opinion? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that it starts early with, you look at like a children, even very little children, mm. they don't have any need to have a false concept of Ooh, who they are. That's cool. <laughs> they, they don't, there's no reason for them to. Uh, they start out life uh, really totally open to what other people are saying into them. So, uh, at, and at the same time though, they're sort of built into us, I believe, um, you know, kind of a, a, a just a, a desire to, to be authentic. Mm. Uh, and so if you see a little child uh, who is uh, running along and having just like a great time running around the yard and they're just feeling their energy and their <laughs> speed, right? Let's say like a three-year-old, maybe yeah. a four-year-old, okay? <laughs> they would have the language at that point in their life not to accurately describe what they're able to do. Like, hey, daddy, I'm able to run you know, <laughs> 0.5 miles per Like they can't <laughs> talk like that. All they really know to say is this experience feels like they are the flash. And so yeah. they're going to say something like, uh. you know, daddy, I am so fast. <laughs> I'm faster than anyone. Mm. Okay, now as mom or dad, like we know, no, you're not. Right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but they are speaking authentically, right? Mm. And so what happens over time though is is their authentic self, who they see themselves to be, gets sort of tweaked, <laughs> uh, gets sort of recast by other people around them. Mm. And so uh, this can be really benign, you know, like a parent just saying, uh, well, you're not that fast, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, to something a little bit uh, more sinister where people start to manipulate each other. Mm. And so what we learn to do is basically take on selves and identities that get us along in life, mm. right? That uh, are that protect us. Mm. Uh, for me growing up, right? One of the things I learned really quick was I get praise if I'm good. Yeah. So I took on this identity of the good boy. Mm. And so that, that was something that actually through my whole life, I've, I've kept, I've wanted to have people like me, wanted to have you know, people approve of me. So I was always kind of the good child. I was a firstborn child as well. Mm-hmm. So it kind of worked in to that. And you see this in all kinds of ways, performing, um, even like the bad, the bad boy, the bad girl. Mm. That also is a way mm. of getting attention, love, respect. Um, and so all these things become then identities we take on, uh, some more or less true to who we actually are. Mm. That's fascinating. Um how do you start differentiating? Like, so, you know, even in a Christian lens, like good, uh, we could unpack that a, a million different ways, but like trying to follow the rules, trying to be kind, mm. right? That could be a part of the true self. Mm. When does it become a false self? Because it, like you said, it's like, it's a performance. It's, it's, an, it's a way of getting uh, connection, praise, um, relationship mm-hmm. instead of, and I know it probably falls apart quickly, like, we're not fully sanctified. We're not going to be sanctified till heaven. But like that would be our identity to be loving, to be kind. So where does it where does it differentiate between false self and true self? You think? Yeah, it's a great question. So I am going to point just for a second to two secular psychologists. Mm. I say secular because they don't uh, they don't avow a Christian worldview, a Christian mm. 
framework, but um, Susan Harder mm. and D.W. Winnicott. D.W. Winnicott was more uh, in the early uh, 20th century, uh, very influenced by people like Freud, uh, objects, relations, psychology. And Susan Harder was more recent. She actually just passed away about a year ago. She was a developmental psychologist. Both of them identify the true self and false self uh, distinction. Mm. And one of the things that they observed in their interactions, both clinically with patients, as well as in their uh, various studies they did, is they saw that with uh, in, as, as children develop over time, um, they have interactions, especially with their parents, where there is uh, both a, a willingness of, of the parent to affirm the child's view of things mm. authentically. Like a child authentically experiences something and the parent comes along and says, yes, you're seeing things rightly. Mm. Uh, and, and then there's, uh, and so what that does is it builds up a child's ability to see things accurately, and also to uh, be affirmed in that. So mm. there's, a, there's a sort of being okay with reality that, that can be built up in, in kids, where they're feeling loved and safe, mm. but they're not deluded at the same time. So Susan Harder, for example, she uh, looked, she compared that though with in the 80s and 90s, there were in a lot of the public schools, this emphasis on self-esteem. Yes. And so what happened mm. as she studied this was kids were being told things that just weren't true. Yeah. Yeah, you got to academically, you know, you're, 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 you're not doing well. You got a D. But, but you're, you're a great so student. smart. Yeah, yeah you're so great. <laughs> and, and so the thinking behind that, I think, you know, was often meant to be good. Sure. We want to build these kids up. But we're actually building up a false idea of who they are, which actually creates a lot of underlying insecurity. Mm -hmm. And eventually, what's going to happen? The kid is going to discover in real life when, when they meet you know, a boss or, or someone who doesn't continue the narrative, yeah. oh, I, I'm not who they said I was. And so there's, you know, there's a, that kind of that deconstruction of, of all that that eventually will happen. So yeah, I think I think that that's kind of where it's that's where it happens, and parents are doing their best a lot of times, but can unintentionally, I think, influence kids to build up these false narratives uh, because one, they're not showing enough love and support of the kid, and two, they're not helping the kid embrace reality. That's interesting because it sounds like um, kind of what you were saying earlier, being loved in the midst of failure, in the midst of brokenness, instead of just trying to whitewash it and say, hey, your failure doesn't even mean anything. Don't worry about it. Like, you're amazing. I hear this tension between like a good, it is a good intention. Like, I want to believe in you. But how, how I word that might be very, have different effects. If I just say like, you're doing great versus like, you're doing very poorly and I know that you can do better. I believe in you and let's figure out how to, to, to work mm -hmm. with that mm -hmm. instead of just um, kind of declaring a false reality that you're a great student, but I have a D plus. So it sounds like on some level, like isn't that a pretty accurate like parallel to the gospel right so like god mm -hmm. is on one sense like saying like i'm not going to sugarcoat this like mm -hmm. 
you're not doing so great. And yet like right. my love and accept, like, and I know that word acceptance even needs to be impacted because I think it's probably mm-hmm. been hijacked because accepting doesn't mean like it, what you're doing doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't mean that your, your brokenness, you're hurting someone else doesn't right. matter. Right. But like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to kick you out of, I can still have you in my presence mm-hmm. through my son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your brokenness. Yeah, I'm probably not saying that yeah, yeah. awesomely. No, no, no. I think that's I think that's right because you know where as a Christian, you know, I've experienced lots of different teachings about you know how we should see ourselves like mm. truly. Mm. I mean, one for example, one tradition or or even just a bent in Christian circles mm. is to focus on the bad stuff mostly, yeah, right? Yeah. At, the, at your core, it's you just all sin. are sin. <laughs> You're yeah. just disgusting. Right? Uh, <laughs> and, and so what does that what does that do? Well, that that distorts the truth. Yeah. Because mm. that's not all that we are. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, there's maybe other streams that to focus too much on our innate goodness without really any wrestling with uh, the faults and the weaknesses and the sins. And so um, I think if you just look at the story of, of Scripture and how God shows us this is who we are, okay, where does it start? It starts with creation, and he created all things good. So if so, one of the things that's kind of changed a lot in my life is I, I sort of had this concept in my teens and 20s uh, of, man, at the core, I'm a, I'm a sinner, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But as I started to interact with my own kids as a 20-something, mm-hmm. I recognized that um, they're not all sin. Uh, in fact, there's so much beauty and goodness. And I, I went back to Scripture and discovered there's this whole thing called creation. Mm. Uh, and, and that's actually who I am at my core. I'm, I'm created good. Uh, the second piece, though, is the fall. Yeah. And so there is now the reality of my fallenness. And, and I think if you look at the rest of the story, then you see creation, fall, and God has a plan to redeem. So as he redeems us, um, that's just showing that, I used the word acceptance a moment mm. ago. I think that's a really great word because uh, God loved us even when we had rebelled against him, mm. right? And so there's a great verse in Romans chapter 5 that talks about you know, God, while we were yet sinners, mm-hmm. Christ died for us, right? So that love is the love that accepts us where we're at, right? It does not affirm yeah. all of that, but it yeah. accepts us. And and so that's the redemption piece where God takes us and wants to call us back into our created goodness. But even more than that, there's this fourth part of the story. So creation, fall, redemption. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth part is what's yet to come which is glory, uh, mm. glorification. Mm. And so God is actually, his plan is to take and make us into our true selves, if you yeah. want to use that word. Full circle. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but our true selves as he has always meant to be, and really in a way that we can't fully imagine. And uh, and so, um, yeah, which which I'll just add one last thing, and that is that as, a, as, as Christians, right, we're taught, hey, you were a sinner, but now you're saved. I think, though, we need to remember that even though we're now followers of Christ, that doesn't mean we're perfect. Yeah. Right? We're not completed uh, fully yet. And so we're being redeemed. We're being restored. And so that's a... Uh, so I like to say, you know, we're created good. We're fallen in sin. We're loved by God. 
and his redemption, accepted where we're at, and we're on the way. We're incomplete, but we're on the way uh, to that, that maturity, that completion in Christ. Man, that made me think of so many different things. I'll just throw out some ideas yeah. and see like what's what's exciting to you. Like my mind goes from everything. To, well, I can relate to your story, right? That sense of um, seeing myself really just as a pile of sin and not necessarily like any goodness in it. And so it was very confusing, mm. very difficult to even comprehend. Well, then how is he a good father? And like, what does love even mean if like I'm just a pile of crap? <laughs> like that doesn't. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to compute, right? Like it doesn't seem like mm. if it's just sin, like it doesn't really make sense. Versus like, okay, I made you good. You are there's there's definitely a corrupt corrupted side inside of my heart. But like mm. holding the tension of the two, so that's one thing that really stood out to me. Another is this idea of and this is well, I guess it branches off into two. One, as a, as a new father myself, I, I can, I think, relate to what you're saying is I'm like looking at my son and it's like, I mean, yes, he's, he's only, I'm sure, months away from, from rebelling. <laughs> right now, it's the like, yeah. we're in paradise still. Yeah, right, you, right. Can't, you don't even know what you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, it's not like he's going to lose some of his innocence and some of his goodness. Yeah. Even when he starts rebelling, those moments will be difficult, frustrating, yeah. disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it doesn't change that he still is, is this, you know, will have a sweet heart at, at you know, points as well and other good yeah. attributes. Yeah. Um, but it's it's been really challenging me. I feel like I've been maybe meditating on the father's heart a little more, but it's been confusing because it's like, man, like I don't want to go to one extreme and just say like, we're just great. Like we're just hundred percent mm. perfect. Yeah. Um, Cause that's, I mean, I'll just speak from my own life. I can easily think, man, I've really arrived. I'm great. And yeah, then, yeah. I mean, in God's grace, I think that I just, I'm a jerk to my wife. I'm like, wow, no, I'm not. Like, yeah. how do I, it's so easy to get deceived and seeing like, some sense of accomplishment, mm. as you said, maybe as a rival mm. instead of, and then like, to me, it's like, it's easy then to not be vulnerable because I want to hold on to that false self of look at how much better mm. I am. Mm -hmm. And I put my identity ironically in the sanctification that God has already done, not of my own work. And yet yeah. I'm trying to privatize it and make it my own accomplishment, yeah, yeah, yeah. which then falls flat on its face. So it's easy for churches maybe because it's concrete to focus on sin mm. and it's abstract and maybe uncomfortable to imagine the way that God looks at us mm. without maybe taking that so far that then we think, well, we don't even, we're just great. We're perfect. Mm. How, how would, how have you learned to meditate on the father? Like, cause I think of like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been like lately thinking like Jesus, if he's inviting us into his family and the father is king and he's king, Get that confused. Jesus is king, but the father is, I don't know. You know right, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. There's this, right. but we're like, so we're invited to this family of royalty on one yeah, sense, right? Yeah, like right. We're, we're sons and daughters of a king, therefore princes and princesses, mm -hmm. not of our own doing, not of our own making. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, I don't understand the verse at all that the angels will long to look into the things that, that the sons of yeah. men get to experience. Like, right. yeah. And just yesterday I was like, part of that, isn't it? Because like we experience sin and grace and forgiveness in a way the angels aren't experienced. We're made in his image, unless there's something that God just hasn't revealed in the scripture. We're very different than angels in that we're made specifically in his image. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what does that, like, how do you hold the image of God? Mm -hmm. um, and is that maybe what fuels, like, holding that more objective view of ourselves? Like, what can hold mm -hmm. the objective view of ourselves to see the brokenness, mm -hmm. but then not like spin into it? Sorry, that was really long as I'm just <laughs> thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, it's a deep question and it's, it's very easy to kind of get lost in it, yeah. right? So 
I think if I'm hearing your question right, Please. Though, <laughs> you are you are asking sort of what is an anchor yeah. to really saying this is who we are. Okay, so yeah, uh, I think, so I mentioned earlier, there's sort of three people involved in, in that identity piece. This was uh, Susan Harder. Again, I just have to give props to her because she really did a lot of work. She had wrote a book called The Construction of the Self, um, and she talks about in that two big pieces, the um, me, right, uh, the, 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 the person who is trying to understand who, who he or she is, but then also the other, which, you know, she would talk about parents, she would talk about school teachers, anyone outside. So those two are kind of in dialogue. I said, I said earlier, I'm going to add God yes. as, as the, the third and the main one. So uh, while we have all those three working together, like God is, is, is the one who is totally in, uh, I'd say he has the biggest and most comprehensive view of everything, uh, and, and including my my true identity, who I really am. So, uh, so I'm going to lo- look mostly to him. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I'll also say, you know, if you're a fan of church history, mm-hmm. St. Augustine dealt with this. Uh, he has a great little book called The Confessions, where it's basically him just looking at his life and trying mm. to decide, right, how, how, who is God mm. and how has he shown up in my life? It's an awesome read. It's a little mm. hard, but man, it's so good. And one mm. of the things that he shows us is sort of, he talks about this inward turn hmm. where he he looked, instead of just looking outside himself at all the things in the world, hmm. uh, all the pleasures he was finding, like he was, he was you know, in, in some ways, uh, you know, addicted to sexuality, sex. And so hmm. that was his kind of pleasure hmm. uh, that he was drawn to. He, he had some t- moments though that made him turn inward and he started to explore his own self. Hmm. And in that... He discovered there's a lot going on, right, in his heart and his motions and his desires, but it was so chaotic. <laughs> it's like, well, how do I know who I really am, right? How do I know the truth? And so that's when he started to look not just out or in, but up. And in that movement, and it took him a little while, uh, he had some t- divergencies into different philosophies, but he actually finally came back to the faith of his mother, Monica. Uh, who had been praying for him all his life, oh, and yeah, that. pretty awesome, yeah. And he he discovers God, and and he discovers not just a distant, far off God, uh, a God of the philosophers, but a God who actually mm. knows him and has called him. And there's this great moment, a story where he's wrestling a lot with his sin and his guilt and just how broken a man he is, and uh, he's wrestling with: Does he want to give all all away? you know, all of his kind of addictions up or not. Mm. And he's outside in a garden Mm. and we're both big gardeners. So (laughs) great things happen in the garden. (laughs) They do. Uh, But he's out in a garden (laughs) and um, he's, he's kind of wrestling. He's got a a Bible nearby Mm. and he hears some children in the next courtyard and they're playing a game and he's never heard this game before. He's (laughs) like, what is this game? But he hears them and they're kind of chanting back and forth, take up and read. Take up and read. What? And he's like, what? Yeah, right. Tolo et lege is the Latin. Tolo et lege, tolo et lege. And so he's like, he takes it as a sign from God. So he goes and he gets he gets the scripture and he kind of opens it up. And the first place it falls to, he looks at. Not a great method for yeah. Bible study, but still. Uh, but but I think I think that it's the point is God was was intimately involved in his life and spoke mm. to him right there because the verse that he landed on. 
was a scripture that spoke directly into his question, right? Not in drunkenness and debauchery, uh, not in sexual addictions, basically, uh, but in the grace of the Lord. And so he saw in this passage God calling him into life that was truly life. And so back to your question, how do we know who we are? How do we anchor it? I think it's in in relationship with God. Mm. And that happens uh, in prayer and in listening. Mm. It happens in scriptures as we read again and again and again the story mm. and find out who we are there. And then I would ask, add finally, Brian, man, it's also so important to come back to the others in our life mm. who know us, who've seen us, um, and maybe who always don't get us right, yeah. but who can speak. And I mean, Monica, Augustine's father, or Augustine's mother, mm. uh, she was a mother that really, um, as I said, prayed for him. His father was not so much mm. uh, involved in, in that way, but um, she really did uh, reinforce to Augustine as growing up again and again, this is who you are. Mm. This is who God is calling you wow. to be. And so... It's a great picture, I think, of ideally how we get anchored uh, in our true identity. Yeah, I love that. And it's sad to me, maybe it's a good conversation to have, like my heart almost goes immediately cynical, but like what happens Mm. when, so like in an ideal world, people are speaking truth to you. Mm. And how many times in church, Christian circles, people can be well-meaning, but unintentionally distorting the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, I remember like when I was a kiddo, I was like, uh, no, I couldn't have been 13. I was driving. <laughs> that would have been really bad and illegal. I was like 16 and my parents were like out on vacation and I went to church on my own. Mm. And I didn't, I mean, I dressed up like I did every other Sunday. So I don't know why I got the attention of this person who came over and they're really sarcastic. Like, why did you show up to church in God's house? Like it's a basketball court. And I'm like, uh, man, I could be doing like drugs. I could be doing yeah. things. Yeah. And so like in that moment, like I, I say that just because like I internalize shame, like something wrong with me. I don't deserve to be here. Mm. And that's one like tangible of many stories where it's mm. like, it's easy to hear someone say something about you, about your heart, about your situation. You and I both readmitted growing up, it was easy just to see it all as sin mm-hmm. as opposed to cherished and beautiful and good as well. Yeah. So like, how do you like, man, I can even think of a number of people in my life that like, they're upbringing um, various sects of Christianity that are wouldn't you wouldn't even maybe call Christianity like mm. Mormonism things like that that are, are very different from the mm-hmm. core, um, but someone wouldn't know like someone mm. may not even have any idea mm. like they're just like this is presented to me as truth yeah and then last thing sorry I keep getting all long winded over here. Then we have our own like just psychological baggage of mm-hmm. maybe the church is speaking relatively good truth to us, but then like mm-hmm. a dad, a mom, a teacher, someone just basically instills in you, you're just a piece of crap. Yeah. yeah. And so like that then I think becomes a filter that it, like for me and my story as well, like mm-hmm. it was hard to even fathom that God could be so loving. Mm-hmm. It was hard to fathom what a good father is that he could be so for you and, and like with you and, and like champion you on. Mm-hmm. And so even as I started to hear people talking about that, it was like, am I joining a cult? Like, mm-hmm. is this like, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm surely I'm forsaking, you know, the, the, the God that's all about wrath and sin and, and you just have to accept Jesus, but there's no actual mm-hmm. relationship with it. Yeah. Um, so again, yeah. throwing a lot at you, but you know, what do you make, how, yeah. how does one or we as a group, how do we lovingly discern or know, like, what do you do if you're stuck in, mm-hmm. you think it's truth, but it's not truth, right? You're yeah. even looking to God. 
Right. But the 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 messages either from uh, or, uh, stru- structures, organized religion, or even your own family, friends, mm. is distorting that mm. dynamic. Does mm. that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Man. Absolutely. <laughs> <I'm> yeah. <glad. laughs> so things are never as simple as, you know, as we want to make them. I think sometimes I just want it to be also clear and cookie Oh, cutter. please. Yes. <laughs> uh, but no, I, and I think though, God, uh, the Christian faith is, is very aware of this. Mm. And unfortunately though, uh, we have in the church often, like you've just, the story you just shared, uh, we have made it not about, uh, the, the 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 things of God, mm. but, but but more the the external things that we like to have, which is like yeah you 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 know I am in control of this church service and you know by gosh if anybody comes in here they're gonna be dressed like I want them to be and so it really becomes more about what our man made kind of ideas of worship and religion are and and you know for some people they may think they may truly believe right dressing up you know, at church on Sunday is a godly thing, right? Because they've so attached it to honoring God and, and so forth. So if they find somebody who comes in not dressed like, yeah. And and so I want to have a little empathy even for those people. Sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah. as, as hurtful as that kind of thing has been, both in my life and it sounds like yours, there's, there's reasons for it, right? Uh, so I just want to look real quickly at the Pharisees because in Scripture... In Jesus' interactions with people, we see this dynamic very clearly, where there are people who are willing to just be totally authentic and real, right? Like Jesus would go often to the sinners, the tax collectors, because they knew, right? They knew the reality of who they were in their brokenness, right? Now, in comes the Pharisees, who externally look like they have a very firm grasp on God and who they are, right? And they're they're pretty, you know, they're pretty stable. But if you look underneath, uh, as Jesus does, you see they're they're full of contradictions. And Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs because yes, everything on the outside looks great, but 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 great, but on the inside it's it's dead. And so the word he uses for this is hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. He talks about that over and over. And the word hypocrites is is actually the word in Greek that means actor. So they are acting out a right a false self. And I think that what we see in Jesus' interactions is that, yeah, there is the possibility for religious people, people who actually have convinced themselves they are following God, are self-deceived. And so that's that's a bad place to be in. Scary though. It's like, a very scary. I feel like place. I always ask myself, well, what if I'm just deceiving myself? Right, right. <laughs> it sucks. Right. And 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 there yet there's hope for them. Yeah. Okay, there's hope that's, for them. Yeah. And and Jesus is going to reach out to them. I mean, he meets with one of them, Nicodemus. Right? And so he's inviting them in. Even on the cross, right? He is still inviting them to to forgiveness and grace. So now that's bad. But that's not irredeemable. Where you really would hate to be is to be in a place where you not only uh, are making yourself appear to be religious and good, but you know you're deceiving other people. Ooh, oh that's man. a bad place. Yeah, That's actually, I mean, the prime example of that is, is Satan himself. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, an angel of light was an angel, fallen angel, and yet uh, he 
and, and knew, knew who God really was, but he decides, you know what? Um, I'm going to take all this religious knowledge I have and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna deceive people. And, and so anyone who's following in that train of thought is in a really bad way. Uh, but there are people who are hypocrites, uh, who are themselves deceived. Hmm. And, you know, they, they, I mean, they also need grace. They also, yeah. I mean, probably need a, a good, you know, kind of talking to. And, <laughs> and Jesus gives them that, right? <laughs> woe to you, woe to you, woe to yeah, you, he vipers. says. <laughs> right? And so... Um, he doesn't mince words, but uh, he's he, even that is an invitation to to see. Hey, listen, you're deceived. Come back to the truth. What's interesting because I, I actually am convicted, curious, a uh, mixture of things. Like you're you're uh, offering a great deal of empathy for the Pharisees, and I'm curious about that because, like, man, unless I'm like reading it wrong, they seem so disinterested in hearing what Jesus has to say. Mm. And yet, like, I, it's interesting that you're saying they're deceived themselves. And it makes me curious about humility, which probably could just go down to a, a, a rabbit hole potentially, because I'm sure it could elicit um, uh, predestination versus free will, right? Like, is yeah. it, it being that, well, really, doesn't it just take humility to realize, oh, Jesus is saying I'm a hypocrite. Jesus is saying mm. I'm an actor. Jesus is saying, mm-hmm. I think I have it all together and I don't. Mm. What else is the turning point? Um, oh, that, to me, at least that's where mine goes, is humility and or what we're talking about, uh, admitting and accepting this is a false self. I'm mm. building up an identity and I'm building up something that feels very comfortable. I like the power. I like having the answers or it just feels comfortable or mm. instead of like, man, Jesus is saying something and, and he's asking me to follow him mm. and I don't want to for every reason. Like, do you think, is that a humility thing? Is that predestination? Uh, the other thing I'm forgetting right now and mm. we just put that aside for this conversation because <laughs> no one's figuring that out anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, or like, what, what do you think that is? Like, cause I, I do like hearing your grace for them, but I'm just curious. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, I think part of the empathy you hear of me is because I have been, uh. am at times, a Pharisee. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I just excluded myself and considered myself not a Pharisee. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, I think you, you know you that. Got, yes. You know that, too. I mean, we, we've, all, we've all kind of experienced times where totally. maybe there's, we're, so, we're self-righteous, yeah. right? And gosh, I mean, mm. I think that's particularly hard to do. I mean, particularly easy to do in our culture where... Mm we're so privileged in many ways and have so many things. So Jesus, Jesus would say to us, um, Hey, listen, like I died for you. I love you. I've came, I've come for you. And, uh, and he would, and he would, he would say very clearly, be careful, uh, be careful that you don't deceive yourselves. And in Matthew uh, six and seven, he's going to talk directly to that and say, look, many will come to me and they'll say, Hey, didn't we do great works in your day? Didn't we serve you? And he'll say, no. Like, we never had a relationship. Uh, the God you thought you were following was a God of your own imagination. So that's pretty scary, but it's oh. also, I think, really gracious hmm. uh, of God to not just let us go on in our deceptions, but to offer a way out. So I'm oh. not sure if I answered your question. No, that was but, great. Because, like, Well, first, yeah, it's easy... I think that is something I really struggle with. It's so much more comfortable, <laughs> ironically, being heresy, or heresy, uh, Pharisee, 
as it's so easy to read the Bible and be like, what the heck is wrong with these people, these Pharisees? Sure. Why are they so mean? Why are they so this? And yet, then yeah. I'm like throwing them under the bus, just like they're throwing other people under the bus. Mm. And it goes back to uh, one of, and I don't, I'm not saying my, because I came up with it, but just something I've been meditating on. But one of my favorite things lately is like, it's so easy to say everyone else is the problem yeah. instead of just actually looking at where yeah. I am the problem. Right. Like, as much as I feel detached from whatever global societal problem, mm-hmm. if I think it's everyone else or anyone else and just saying like, even if I'm not contributing in any direct way, I'm the problem because I'm a carrier of sin. I'm a carrier mm-hmm. of brokenness. Mm-hmm. I fail my own value system mm-hmm. every day, let alone God's value mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate that dialogue and that reminder that it can feel like, okay, well, I'm, I'm on the good side with Jesus over here. I'm the broken person, I'm yeah. not the Pharisee. Yeah. Why are the Pharisees being so mean? Yeah. And yet, like, I think the second I, I, I see myself as superior <laughs> yeah. to the Pharisee, like, I've already lost that de- the, yeah. the delusion yeah. or the, the being deceived. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that Martin Luther is a great person to look at in this whole question we're talking about because he himself was a very religious person. Mm. He was a monk uh, in 15th century, 16th century, and he was in the Catholic Church, uh, gave himself to a life of of poverty, of chastity, uh, a life of of service uh, to the church. But what he discovered in that was there was so much sin in his life, in his heart still, even if he'd given himself Mm. to God wholly, that he didn't know what to do. And the Catholic Church at that time was kind of bankrupt spiritually, uh, and he was not finding a way. Mm. And that's where he came to this great insight as he was reading the Apostle Paul and recognized that it's not about, as we would famously you know, say today, it's not about our works, yeah. it's about faith you know, yeah. and, and God's grace to us. And so I think one of the things that Martin Luther, though, as he continued on in that, in that life now of grace and uh, through faith in Christ, was he didn't give up a very important practice that I think many Christians today have given up, mm. and that's the practice of confession. Mm. So Luther talked about famously uh, different means of of basically reminding ourselves of the gospel, reminding ourselves of God's grace. Mm. One of those was preaching. Another one was coming to uh, get communion. Um, and and another one was baptism. The fourth one was confession. Mm. This is something that we associate often just with the Catholic Church. The if, booth. If, yeah, the booth, like going yeah. in and hearing, you know, they're telling the priest all your sins. And, yeah. And so, but there's, I think sometimes Protestants like myself have just thrown out the baby with the bathwater and said, oh, that's, you know, we don't need to do that. Like, we don't need to do any penance. Uh, but there's a great beauty and treasure in this practice of confessing because the other the other par- part of confession is what's called absolution or forgiveness. Mm. You get off your chest, out of your heart, uh, the, the true mm-hmm. guilt. And you know, in our culture, doesn't really have any room for guilt anymore, <laughs> right? But you, yeah. but it's there still. We can pretend it's yeah. not, but it's still there. Yeah. You can, you can, like, like for me, mm. man, as a father... I experienced uh, growing, growing as a father of my kids, like, man, I, I lose patience with them. Yeah. And there have been times where I have uh, said to the things to my kids in a harsh mm. voice mm. or put pressure on them in a way they just, they didn't need that. It wasn't yeah. good for them. Yeah. And gosh, this is just a moment as a 
true confessions, man. Mm. I was, I was, we were at Six Flags. Aww. This was a couple of years ago. And my son, who at the time was around nine or 10, mm. he was hot, tired, sweaty. And we had been standing in line for one of those roller coasters. <sighs> forever. And, yeah, forever, right? <laughs> we finally got up to it. And then we were supposed to get in, but something happened. It was like so weird. We, we got in and then we had to get right off and like, it was the weirdest thing. We had to like, we, we totally missed the ride. We had uh-huh. to like go all the way around. He was, he lost it. Uh-huh. He was just so sad. Yeah. And, and he was kind of like, when he gets sad, he gets mad. He was screaming. He was making a big ruckus. And I, I lost it then. Mm. And I yelled at him mm. and was wanting to control him, mm. man. And I just, gosh, here's Brett, the mm. pastor mm. trained as a counselor, like, mm yelling at his son so much shame and heaped up on me and 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 yet you know we talk about how shame's you know not good but mm. but it was it's what i needed in that moment i yeah. needed to confess to my son and to god this was wrong luther saw that mm. and he said we can't throw this out mm. we we have to be able to tell the truth about our sin and and here's the part we sometimes miss as christians receive forgiveness yeah. right because god wants to give that to us and so um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer mm. uh, had this uh, great relationship with a friend of his who he, you know, he, he called him uh, his confessor. But mm. uh, these two guys, these two uh, great friends would do this. They'd go for a walk. One would confess, here's what happened today, this week. The other one would say, basically, thank you and receive God's forgiveness over you. You are a beloved son of mm. God, you know, and stand in this truth and walk in it. This is who you are, and man, that is something we so need. I think mm. to as a just a practical way to do what you're talking about to affirm the truth. This mm. is this is actually what's true about our sin, and and, and also to receive God's love and grace. Mm. Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for sharing yeah. that story. I think at least what I'm experiencing is. That is the um, the effect of confession. Like you share that, and it creates safety to say, like, me too. Like I, mm-hmm. I struggle too. Mm. I fail too. Mm. Um, because, like, I think to me at least, like, that's a big antidote to the temptation of being a Pharisee and hiding behind mm. uh, false identities. Is yeah. because it feels too scary to say, at the end of the day, I'm a wreck. Like I can't. Yeah be who yeah. I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And what seems, underline, highlight, star, seems so simple, is in, actually impossible. I was going to say it's incredibly different. No, it's it's impossible. You can't mm. be perfect. You can't mm. be that way. Um, and I wonder if that's what I'm hearing, that um, confession, a part of it, not only is for ourselves, mm. but might also be for others, mm. because it's maybe a conduit of the Holy Spirit to convict. When mm-hmm. I hear that you mm-hmm. are struggling, I am struggling, and let's just pretend there's another brother or two with us, mm-hmm. and they're like, whoa, like, I don't have to pretend I'm okay. Yeah. I don't have to pretend like yeah. there's nothing to own. Yeah. And and please push back on this if it's if you don't think it's correct. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Obviously, I'm a counselor, so I can easily get maybe sucked too far to the psychology yeah. side of oh, things. That's, that's great. So like the difference between shame and guilt, yeah. and that's where I'm wondering if like shame would say, I am bad. At the core, I am bad yeah. and defective and disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Versus guilt, um, I did something terrible. 
Right. And uh, unless you think that that there's a pushback there, because like recently I've been wrestling with, and I think at least with most of the things I read and the people I follow, like guilt is still relatively like really accepted. Mm. The idea that like, no, I screw up. Like I, there's something mm. like I did mm. something. Like, I mean, it would be delusional to think I never make a mistake. At least right. I've yet to find somebody, anybody in my office is I'm like, let's talk about guilt and shame. I did something bad versus I am bad. And I've yet to see yeah. anybody get offended or confused. They're just like, they, they yeah, I Guilt, yeah, yeah. guilt makes sense. Guilt is, yeah, real. Um, sure. And, ah, mm. oh, Dredd, I might have forgotten. And guilt is productive. Guilt mm. is seemingly like the invitation to to actually affirm that what we're experiencing isn't the way it's supposed to be. Like, yeah. I did something wrong. Others have done something wrong. The world isn't in echad, probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but I think from what I understand, the, the Hebrew word for like complete peace and wholeness mm. and, 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 and a knowledge of God. Mm. Um, we're not there. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's... Anyways, I, probably like yeah, like the word shalom. Shalom, this idea yeah. Of, yeah. Maybe I screwed up the word. Total flourishing. Yes, yeah. flourishing. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and so, like, do you think that is is that a fair theological um, separation of guilt and, and shame? I love that. I think that's really helpful to separate guilt and shame. First of all, mm. guilt being an objective, I did this yeah. action. Shame yeah. being more of like, as a person, yeah. you are worthless, or yeah. you know. So that's super helpful. Can I complicate it a little bit? Yeah, please. Let's <laughs> uh, complicate it. <laughs> because in scripture, you do find often translated like shame as like we should be ashamed. You know, one of the yeah. scriptures says, you know, fill their faces with shame that they might turn back to you. Yes. This is in one of the Psalms. So go look it up. I can't remember which Psalm it is. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's so there's a healthy feeling of being ashamed for something or now the distinction you made is really helpful i want to take that though i want to say when we talk about shame it is i think it's right to say it's sort of talking about the whole person mm -hmm. is bad holistic completely holistically yeah. now in scripture actually we have a category oh, for that right yeah it's called the old self yeah oh look at man, this right so <laughs> i'll pay and, you 20 bucks after the show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is where yeah so i don't know if this is where you were going exactly but i mean i think scripture is so psychologically deep and complex and rich when you look at the apostle paul who thought a lot about this he uses a few different words he uses the old man, old self, uh, and he he basically says that uh, this this what this is 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 this is kind of uh, a way human beings have found identity. Okay, and he goes back to Adam, the first man, and he says, "What did Adam do? He found an identity in rebellion against God. In other words, he found an identity in being autonomous, being his own." God, you might say. Like, that's what that's what Satan's you know temptation was him. You be your own God, basically. So he's like, yeah, that is the old man, the old self that Paul is going to say that all of us as human beings are tempted towards, drawn in towards, we want to be our own God. Paul will say that old identity needs to be crucified. It needs to be put away. And if there's a right, healthy view of shame, it would be a shame of that. Now, we have a, another identity that is offered to us uh, that is to be sons and daughters of God. That is who we were created to be, right? And so it's basically God's calling us back to the identity he's always created us to have and be. And should we feel shame in that identity? Absolutely not. 
no shame. In fact, in Genesis 2, it says Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. So, so, so is shame ever good? Well, or should we ever feel shame? I think that yes, it's in certain identities that are not, they're not who we, who we should be and we should be ashamed of. I think if I'm hearing you right, like yeah. if I, so if I'm holding the two selves, the true self and the false self, yeah. and let's say right now I'm binging in the false self, I'm yeah. identifying with the false self. The false self inherently is shame though. The false self mm-hmm. isn't who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It isn't good. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm identifying with it, it might be good to, to experience some shame because the false self is itself bad. Yeah. Instead of, and so I'm, I'm even truly missing out on um, who I'm meant to be and who mm-hmm. I am, mm-hmm. which doesn't have any shame in it. Mm-hmm. And that is psychologically and, 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 and uh, identity wise confusing to, to wrestle with, to yeah. hold the, the, the duality of in this current state. I am, the false self is very much alive inside of me. And I also am trying to uh, embrace and believe and, and notice mm. the true self that God has already given me. Yeah. And I made a weird face a while ago because as you were describing the yeah. false self, <laughs> um, I mean, this is probably obvious, but it's just like clicking in this context. Like, and I, I love America. America has a lot of positives. Yeah. Our culture is yeah. literally like built on the false self. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's probably really difficult for it's us so sad, sometimes. It's funny. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's depressing because it's like yeah, we're literally the yeah. fish and water that we're so yeah. indoctrinated from yeah. birth. Yeah. yeah. Be whatever you want to be. Yeah. Do whatever you want right. to do. Yeah, yeah. Don't let anyone question you. Don't mm-hmm. like if people don't like you, just make ten times more money and laugh at them. Yeah. And show them that they yeah. were wrong. Instead of like, maybe there was another way mm-hmm. and like our entire culture, not, and now it's like, you know, evolving even more into any kind of identity we might take on ourselves in mm-hmm. addition to that. And then yeah. boldly believe that that is anything and everything. But just the idea of just like, even what seems like great, like the American dream, mm-hmm. live, try, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's goodness to that. But mm-hmm. then I think it's so easy for the false self to be so nourished yeah. By that sense of control and power and earning yeah. and prestige yeah. and people like, and then you, you throw in Facebook and likes and stuff. And then it's like, just this, mm. like, I'm sorry, this sounds gross. It's like this little monster that I'm feeding yeah, uh, and it's oh, just growing yeah. and takes over. Oh, totally. Well, <laughs> well, man, that's, that's uh, okay. So I have to mention C.S. Lewis basically oh, in I any talk Lewis. I ever, ever do or have a conversation. So He's got this great little book. It's called The Great Divorce. Great it's divorce. not about divorce. Yeah. It's about <laughs> uh, it's about the separation between basically two different realities. Mm. Uh, one reality being God's reality, other being our man-made mm. reality. Yeah. So, but it's a great story. And one of the things that happens though is basically it's about these people who uh, they have a chance to choose their true self mm. or their false self. <laughs> and in one of the and and there's basically these um, these these people who have been redeemed, let's mm-hmm. say, they are in heaven, okay? Mm-hmm. But they're given a chance to come and meet these other people, these kind of ghostly people. Why have I not read this? Oh, this man, so good. fascinating. So the ghostly people, the ones who are given a chance to decide between mm-hmm. the true self and false self, one of them, he's walking along and he meets this, this, uh, this redeemed angelic person who comes and talks to him. And mm-hmm. uh, in the conversation they have, it's really interesting because the... The ghostly person uh, has a little lizard on his shoulder. Okay, <laughs> of he does. A, a little monster. <laughs> yes, 
and and so basically the person like he doesn't talk the lizard talks oh my gosh that's so interesting right. and so there's this this conversation that happens uh there's actually and maybe i i may be actually confusing too there's two different stories of this happening one is the, the little there's a little uh, there's a guy who has a little man mm. that sort of does all the talking and then there's one that, that like a mannequin or yeah like, like no a- like a little like uh, like small version of himself. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then there's another one. There's a lizard. Well, anyway, the point being that yeah, Lewis portrays this kind of the false self as this like lizard. Uh, that's that's if you read in between the lines, it's a sexual addiction. Oh, uh, and huh. so there's kind of this. Yeah, he's just given into this. This is who he is, and so that's what does all the talking in his life. Yeah. But it, and I don't want to give away the plot. But it's an amazing uh, example of how uh, that old part of us mm. can actually have at its core a holy good desire. Mm. I mean, sexuality is not bad. Right? Mm. It's a really good thing, yeah. right? Wow. What what happens is we distort it, right? So, uh, what we see in that that particular story is um, the the ghostly man with the lizard on his shoulder needs to crucify, mm. needs to let go of the sexual addiction. Mm. And, and basically what he's told to do is to kill the lizard. Mm. And he ends up doing it. Mm. Uh, spoiler well, alert, but we've had like spoiler, sorry. almost yeah. 100 years, I think. Uh, yeah, you've no, had time to read it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, much, there's many other stories to, to read in that book. Years. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not spoiling the whole thing. Okay. But uh, what then happens is instead of just like being done with that lizard, the lizard actually then transforms and it becomes this beautiful white stallion, mm. this horse. And the man jumps on the back of the horse mm. and basically rides off into eternity. Wow. And so it's this redemption of his part of who he is, his sexuality, yeah. uh, which is a good thing. So the good, that part that was hijacked and then it was hijacked. Yeah. 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 Man, it immediately makes me think of Narnia too. I mean, it makes sense. It's yeah. about that. Yeah. Like, right. The, I forget yeah. the, the story where he talks about, uh, I forget the kid's name, the one who's just really mean and crabby. And he used this, Eustace, and he gets to go to the pool. And he's yes. Like, the Aslan is, is using his claw to like, yeah, pierce. he becomes a dragon. Yes. Drag. So, thank you then, for filling in the lizard. That's okay. Yeah. Analogy. <laughs> yeah. He's a dragon and he's got to be pierced deeply mm-hmm. to get the scales removed right and horses obviously throughout the entire night anyways so that's beautiful made me think of, yeah yeah wow. yeah so good yeah hmm. and and so there there's there's then i think in our society a, a desire to affirm hmm. the beauty and the goodness of who we are as creatures which that's good that's good yeah. uh and 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 what what we need to do though is say do a little bit of psychology and say yeah. okay yeah there is that but but there's also some a, a bad identity that we need to let go of. Now, even in the bad identity, though, there's a root of that, that that's actually grown out of a, a holy desire, be it sexuality, be it power and control. Power mm. and control are not evil things. Yeah, you're right. Inherently, for great we're good. given dominion over the earth. And exactly. if we had not sinned, it would have been beautiful, perfect dominion. It wouldn't be abuse of power. Yeah, it goes bad when, when the dad you know yells at his son at Six Flags yeah. Instead of, of of using that power and that control to to bless his son, and so so yeah, I want to say that even in the things that we should be ashamed of, mm. uh, and that we should crucify, there is even in those things. Where did they come from? They came from a good and holy desire, mm. but we took the wrong path. 
you know, we took the wrong path. And it's like Lewis says, you know, like imagine a dog walking along the street and the dog uh, sees a, you know, a, a big lamb chop uh, across the scene. It's, it's so desired, but, but uh, un, unbeknownst to the dog, it's wrapped itself up in, a, uh, a, in its, its leash around a, a fire hydrant. And like it can't get where it wants to go. Mm. It's drawn to something good, but it's become tangled up mm. in a wrong path to get there. Mm. And I think that's where the false self is is actually motivated out of a good thing. Mm. For a lot of kids growing up, they want affection, they want love, mm. they want praise, they mm. want power, they want uh, admiration. And so all those are good things. Mm. We're just taking the wrong route to get to them. Mm. I think, and I'm totally paraphrasing this, but Tim Keller sharing something like um, it's it's taking good things and making them an ultimate thing, mm. or in some ways, like now I think you're hearing like or I'm hearing like the good thing has just been hijacked in some way, shape, or form. Mm. But it's it's good to recognize, and that's where it is good to then do our you know work and our story. Like, what is the actual good thing I'm trying to obtain? Yeah, I just started reading yeah. a book, um, Unwanted, that was referred to me by someone, and it's really interesting. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's I, about I sexual addiction, and mm. just even like first chapter into it, it's like, oh, I'm looking to get prostitutes because like I mm. never got affection. Mm. I wanted yeah. someone to look at me, yeah, and now I'm getting it in a false way. Yeah, the actual desire for being wanted and desired and enjoyed is very good, mm -hmm. but if you don't notice, that's what I'm looking for, and then the counterfeit. Mm -hmm is available and less complicated, right? Yeah. I can just purchase like a consumer what I'm looking for instead of actually doing the hard work of relationship, oh, doing yeah. the hard work of being vulnerable, yeah. doing the hard work of believing that actually, you know, sexual addiction aside, whatever the brokenness is, there's brokenness inside of me and I can still be loved in relationship with that brokenness, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. sounds terrifying, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. if then you grow up in that home where like I didn't feel like I was even wanted and, and, and whatever. So how could someone want me if I'm broken too? Uh, Which yeah. I think is that's so fascinating. Like that's my own story. That's the way I was addicted mm -hmm. to pornography. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be loved. Mm -hmm. And until my story, and it was like, holy crap, this is what I'm, I want. Like this mm -hmm. is fake. Mm -hmm. Like it was like impossibly, uh, it was like impossible to overcome it because it just, it was filling a need that I didn't even identify. I want to be loved. I want to be needed, not even needed, but like desired. Mm. I want to feel special. Mm -hmm. And then that's where like you're saying, it sounds like you're saying like our sin hijacks the good mm -hmm. and offers us a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't even say good enough. It seems filling enough mm -hmm. that we want to keep coming back to it. Yeah, it does. And it's, gosh, the antidote, you mentioned this earlier, mm -hmm. is part of the antidote is just exposing it and just being authentic about this is that this is the reality, right? Yeah. It takes the sting out of it to become be able to come to a place where you can say, This is what's happened to me, right? Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes that has to happen in a context of safety, mm -hmm. like a counselor's office, mm -hmm. where there's a knowing that, hey, this stuff that's very vulnerable vulnerable to me is going to be handled well mm -hmm. because what what's happened in our life we've, we've been we've been vulnerable before yeah. and then we got burned yeah so is we're is we're working through the false self and trying to come out of that uh, we have to do that with some wisdom hmm. and so I think it's one really important to explore this in the context of relationship hmm. but with relationship of people that are loving, are wise to some degree. Sure. Yeah. 
and and who can be trusted. And so, you know, I think counselors oftentimes do fit that category. Now, that's not the that's not the only person. I think many good counselors would affirm sure. that. No, it takes it takes a whole community yeah. of people. And so, this is where we need to have counselors in our life. We need to be open to that. We also need to be open to finding people. Yeah, like in our church communities, um, friendships where we can expose some of these things. Now, again, that takes some some wisdom, some 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 help doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, Brene Brown, she's got some great stuff. One of the things that she says that's I took took with me is she's like, you know, people have to earn your trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, so imagine like a, a jar, and uh, and you put little marbles in it, mm-hmm. right? And every act of, of trust that's kept is like adding a marble to that. And you fill up that jar more and more, and guess what? You've built up more and more trust, right? If somebody uh, betrays us, hurts us, well, they've dumped out all the marbles, and we have to rebuild it again. Yeah. So there's a place for appropriate boundaries. Um, and in my life, mm-hmm. man, I mean, you know, I, I have been, just like any kid, grew up with a mixture of a lot of love, a lot of support, a lot of truth, but also some not so good, you know, some uh, narratives and frames that didn't serve me well. But I can go, thankfully, back to my family today, my mom, my dad, my, my brother, and, and, and I've started to explore with them some of these things. Um, it's been really cool, particularly with my brother doing some of this work together as we kind of look back and say, what was your experience like? Mm. Oh yeah, that was kind of like mine too. And I was an older brother. So as I've looked back to my past, I've realized there were times, man, I really hurt my younger brother. Things I said to him, right. Uh, putting him down and like, you know, putting him in his place, I would say back then. Mm. But man, I have realized um, man, no, like I actually can go to him as a confidant now. And mm-hmm. he's one of the people, yeah, I look to in my life and say, there's somebody I can trust. My wife is the biggest mm-hmm. person in my life for that. Uh, and I'm glad I picked her. She picked me because mm-hmm. when, um, you know, when there's somebody I think about in my life that, that I can be fully open with, yeah. it's it's her. And she can hold a lot of my crap. Mm. Uh, she can hold a lot of my truth that isn't so pleasant and do that in a, in a, in a loving way. So, mm. yeah, man, uh, we need, we're, we're broken, we're wounded in community, but we're also healed in community. Yeah. Um, makes me think of like how important that, it, like you said, like the having the place to trust. I love how you like honored your know, counseling. And then I can even think that like unintentionally counseling can become, um, seen as the end all be all mm-hmm. instead of it being like a safe place to test. Oh, I can trust other people. Oh, I can see myself differently. Mm-hmm. And then how do I incorporate that in relationships? Mm-hmm. It's like, a, it gives you like a, maybe a little um, extra uh, courage, yeah. so to speak to face and then do it. Cause like at Absolutely. the end of the day, if all you have is that counselor, like that isn't full relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a very mm-hmm. unique, specific feels weird saying I'm, I'm a tool, but it's a tool <laughs> to use. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. There's utility there, um, and it can be beautiful and it can be healing. But at the end of the yeah. day, just like um, man, I could have perfect, quote unquote, like good enough relationships with every 
person, mm-hmm. but if I'm missing out on my relationship with God, there's mm-hmm. going to be that hole in my heart. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's like, to me, I'm almost seeing th- like three tiers. Like, okay, the counselor is like the first stage I experienced that. Now I experienced that with other people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I need to be experiencing that with God. But depending on our stories and, and where the most injuries are, sometimes it's easier to go to God first. Sometimes it's easier yeah. to go to people first and then they can point us to God. There's that uh, all kind of different opportunities there, but it needs to be in that space of, of, being loved and and being with moral equals in the sense that we realize we're all in this together. We all are lacking. We Mm -hmm. all, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we don't have it together. Mm -hmm. Instead of like, it's almost impossible. How would you trust someone? (laughs) I say like, I'm broken. Well, I can't relate to that. I've never made a mistake before. What are you, what are you talking about? Right, right, right. I'm not going to share with you anymore. (laughs) Uh, You just poured out all the marbles because like why, you know, it doesn't feel very good. And yeah, we don't have to struggle with the exact same things, but an ownership of like, man, I'm falling and missing the mark too. Mm. I love what you said too about your wife, man. It makes me think of maybe sometimes I've, not sometimes I have taken for granted how much we both have been able to share in our stories. And maybe instead of appreciating, wow, we could have unintentionally picked someone who wasn't willing to hold these things or mm-hmm. care about our mm-hmm. emotions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we did get married pretty quick. And yet like, mm-hmm. man, we both hold that mm-hmm. really well. And it's making me see like, don't take that for like, that's not a given. I think no. being a counselor, like yeah. I'm just like, oh, this is just no. the default. Like, no, which is silly because yeah. my story wasn't that way. And then right. it's, it's weird when, at least for me, you experience something for long enough and it just becomes the assumption mm. that emotions are safe to talk about. Mm. It's okay to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And it's and then you forget the blessings and the goodness and the of of that. Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. And you know, you were talking earlier about just sort of the stages of maybe for, I think for a lot of people, counselor could be the first oh, totally. stage. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, God, I, I think God is always there, but um, God shows up through people, right? Mm. Uh, and so God often will use people in our life. And and I, I love the picture of, of counselor as, as actually a tool in God's <laughs> yes, hands. I of mean, course. they're more than that. No, they're yeah. a lot more than that. <laughs> but if you think about what happens um, in a counseling situation, yes, um, I, I've never been a full-time counselor, so mm. I'm just speaking from very minimal experience. But I've, I've witnessed this in other counselors I know, mm. friends I know, and I've seen this um, in people who've talked about it and wrote about it, that a counselor becomes... Uh, for lack of a better word, kind of a punching bag sometimes. Um, <laughs> if if uh, if if a if there's a good rapport mm. and there's a relationship that that's built there, yeah. sometimes what will happen is um, the person just unloads everything on that counselor. The counselor has to hold it all, like, and that's not all pleasant. Uh, but the counselor has to kind of like be there to hold it all and not to say, "Oh, you idiot." Oh, you know, uh, you know, just stop it, stop it, right? Uh, but to to say with empathy and love, mm-hmm. no, like you have been hurt, you have suffered. Yes, you've made a lot of mistakes too. Um, but but to do that in a way that the person can handle it, yeah, right, and almost yeah. be like a a parent should be there, yeah. Um, now, I mean, in in Don, Donald Winnicott, who I mentioned earlier, talked about this mm. that. Uh, that and this is very Freudian in some ways, but there's uh, there's some there's sometimes what happens is uh, it's it's called transference <laughs> when a, a a client counselee will 
sort of see in the counselor aspects of their dad or their mom or who, or whatever. And and so what does the counselor do with that, right? Uh, do you sort of say, hey, stop treating me like, you know, your mom or dad? No. Or do you allow that to happen knowing that the, the client needs to work through that? Mm. They need to experience that and they need to get it out and then and then let let go of that mm. in their life too. Um, and so eventually, yeah, sorry, this was a little long, but, no, great. but what you're doing is you're, you're helping the person work to a place where they have enough strength, mm. you know, the Fordians would call it ego strength, mm. to go into the world, into other relationships where there's a little more risk, yeah. but to start to um, be open and honest in those relationships too, mm. from a healthy place, a healthier place. Oh, that's very true. I love that you point out. Like, I've often like, <laughs> I try to, still trying to figure out the, the more. I'm not saying what you're saying is abnormal, but like, as a counselor, sometimes I'm like very careful what I say, especially because so much of what people experience in counseling is through the media, or mm. all they think about is like, like I can't tell you how many times people are like, "Well, you're just gonna think I want to have sex with my mom because that's what Freud thought." It's like, right, no, right, right, <laughs> it's right. not, that's not yeah. the average norm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but holding that sense of like, yes, like counseling can be very much like reparenting and parenting, like, mm-hmm. like kind of like you mentioned earlier, I forget how you worded it, but I really liked it, that, that holding of the false and the true self, like mm. the limits and, mm. and, and the, no, this isn't, you're not as fast as flash. Um, yeah. You are yeah. fast for, for your age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a lot of energy and that's beautiful, like holding mm. the tension, those th- mm. two things, mm. because especially if we didn't grow up in a family where it was free to, uh, whether make mistakes or or have someone uh, negotiate, not overemphasizing, yeah, you're you're flash. Or over here, no, you're not fast at all. Yeah. Like, why do you think that you're? <laughs> yeah, you could have the two extremes of uh, overbuilding and and tearing down. Yeah, but holding that place of the duality, the good and the bad. I love how you address the. Um, um, I've been sinned against, I've been hurt and sinned against and I've sinned against others <laughs> well Brett thank you so much for being on the show yeah, it's fun it was well this was Brian Bachman with Brett Vaden associate pastor of The Journey and author thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you soon